Welcome to the Odontology 12-Step Podcast, brought to you by your number one source for recovery media online, broadcasting hope and healing 24-7. Come on by and see us at www.odontology12step.com. Here's your host, Robert O. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the first, the inaugural Odontology 12-Step Podcast. This is your host, Robert, one of the members of the Odontology 12-Step team, and I'd really like to thank y'all for stopping by and coming to see what we have to offer here with this podcast. First off, we'd like to get started by thanking everybody. The amazing comments we've got on our YouTube channel and Facebook and Twitter. We just want to say thank you to everybody out there, and just to say We are so blessed and so happy and so honored to be a conduit for the 12 steps of recovery message to get out there to the masses. Uh, We are merely a place, an aggregate for that power, that recovery, that hope, that healing to shine through. So we'd like to thank everybody for their support, and we love hearing from you and all the listeners. It's absolutely been amazing over these years. This is kind of our first opportunity to say thank you to everybody. So we're going to go into a little bit about who we are and what our mission is, and we're going to get to that here in a second, but we just wanted to get that out of the way. Just thank you, everybody. You have been great. So that leads to the first thing we want to address. The question we get the most is, what is odontology? It's a weird kind of different style of a word, and we get a lot of people writing on our Facebook page said, I Googled it, but the only thing I got was odometer or ontology or whatever. (laughs) So basically, who is odontology? Who are we? Well, we are alcoholics and addicts from the Midwest, and we have tapes and recordings, and we just had a bunch of them, and we wanted to share them with our friends, people in detox, people in meetings, and we really didn't have a way to do that at the very beginning. You know, 10 years ago, even in 2007, the internet was a very different place. It wasn't as easy to just hop online and get recovery media. So we would go to our friends and people in meetings and say, okay, to get our our tapes and recordings, you can go to your email and then I'll email it to you. And then you type in the CAPTCHA and it's really hard to kind of discern. And it was such a process where people were like, no, I never listened to it. Or they're like, "We, we don't really listen to your recordings much. And so we decided, okay, we're going to make a very unique name. So basically, if you just type this into Google, you're going to get our stuff. So we came up with the name Odontology. And it really doesn't mean anything other than now it's become synonymous with the number one place for online recovery media. But at the time, it was just simply a word that was made up so people could find our stuff. Because if they would Google stuff, you know, looking for speakers, it would be a bunch of spam. It would be a bunch of stuff that wasn't as quality of recovery material as we like to post. We like to record just the quality speakers, post the quality speakers, and that's really what sets us apart. And so that's why we kind of made a name so we could get all those out there and make them easy to find. So that's how we started. And another thing that was happening at the time was when we would go online, the recovery media community was basically a bunch of people making anti-12 step videos. I remember seeing this one and it was this guy and he made a video like it was anonymous. You know, the guy with the Guy Fox mask and he's like, you guys are a cult and the 12 steps are this and that. And it was really pretty lame, but it was like 
one of the top hits when you would search certain search terms in regards to recovery. So we wanted to say, okay, this is not an accurate representation of recovery. This is some weirdo. So we're going to go ahead and make it easy to find an accurate representation of addictive illness in the recovery process from that using the 12 steps. So we did that and we started to see those videos go down and down and down and our videos go up and up and up because we were sharing a message of recovery and hope. And, you know, that person is completely entitled to their opinion. I'm not attacking them at all. I'm just saying it's really good that someone who might be struggling now is able to find a place. So we are a group of people, both alcoholics and addicts, and we're from the Midwest. And we want to make Recovery Media Online really digestible and really easy to listen to and fun. And we basically... Our whole philosophy is to make our material something that we would want. Because basically, to this day, all of us still use Odontology Recovery Media. We still watch the YouTube channel. We still go to odontology12step.com. We still do all those things that we used to do. Now we just have more people doing them with us. And that is such a blessing. So another thing that we want to talk about is kind of how this podcast is going to work. I'm going to be short here so we can get into some really cool recovery material, but the show is going to start out with what we call a hope and healing feature, and that's going to be from the best of the best of our archives, and it's going to be on a topic and something that really kind of shines a light on certain aspects of recovery, certain aspects of addictive illness, and the recovery process from that. So we'll start each episode out with a hope and healing feature. And then later in the show, we'll do something, a segment called Recovery Today. And this is a place for questions and answers, things that you've always been wondering about. And it's just a place for a discussion on certain topics. And again, it's important to note right off the bat that we are just a group of alcoholics and addicts, just like you guys, or just like any group of alcoholics and addicts that are listening to this show. And we don't speak for anybody other than ourselves and our own opinions. So anything you hear me say is just simply Robert from Odontology's opinion. It's no one else's, doesn't represent any 12-step group or anything like that. So that's kind of the gist of what, what the show is going to be like. We're going to start out each show with an opening. Then we're going to hop into the hope and healing feature. And then at the end, we're going to have recovery today segment, which is going to be on, you know, dating in the first year, medication and sobriety, kind of more of sometimes those hot button issues, which people have questions about. We're also going to get into some cool stuff. We want to bring something every show where someone listens and says, wow, I didn't know that, or wow, I've been in recovery 15 years and didn't know that. So we're going to have cool AA history, cool trivia, cool facts and stuff, and that's just kind of our mission, to bring a really cool recovery experience online to you. So we're going to get into our first hope and healing feature right now, and thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll get right to the podcast. Thanks. Okay, in our first hope and healing segment, we're going to talk about what is an alcoholic and what it means to be an alcoholic. So what I wondered for the longest time is why I was different. I would go out with a group of friends or people that I was in school with, and we would go out drinking. And we would each drink about the same amount of alcohol, but there was something different in me. There's something different about me being an alcoholic that made my relationship with alcohol different. 
What that was was alcohol lit something up inside of me that it didn't light up for those other people. I would see when I was really struggling that people were able to just put it down. We would always hear stories like, hey, you should just quit drinking because my cousin Steve, he used to drink every day for 20 years. And then one day he just decided to quit and he was able to quit. For the longest time, I would say, well, why can't I do that? Why can't I be like Cousin Steve and just quit? So I tried to quit like Cousin Steve. Well, what happened was I would simply stop drinking. I would get a case of Coca-Cola, go home, sit on my couch, and then it would happen. A spring in my stomach would just tighten and tighten and tighten. And I, I couldn't understand why. I was not drinking. I, I was completely sober, yet I had this restlessness in me. And sure, oh, I'd go to bed that night. It'd be fine the next day. I'd be sober. Maybe I'd get a little more money in my pocket. Maybe my life would get better. But inside, without a recovery process, without alcohol, I just felt like an exposed wound. I, I felt like an exposed nerve that if you just touched it, it was just complete uncomfortability. So what would happen was, is that spring would tighten in my stomach over and over and over. And then it would just get to the point where I would just want to drink no matter what. I didn't care. I didn't care that drinking was going to ruin my life. And I just wanted to drink. So in this hope and healing feature, Bob's going to kind of talk about what it means to be an alcoholic. And he's going to be reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the main text. Again, this podcast is for everybody. So if there are some terms and things you don't understand, don't worry. You can go to odontology12step.com, look them under the search bar and find out what they mean. Or AA.org, the 12-step fellowships have amazing websites that answer a lot of questions. But this podcast is for everybody, so just know if you hear something that you're wondering about, don't be afraid to ask. Drop us a line. We'd be happy to help you out. But Bob's going to talk. He's going to read from the first chapter of the big book called The Doctor's Opinion. Now, technically, it's not a chapter. It's kind of an appendix at the beginning. But basically, that's where everyone starts the book. And he's going to talk about what makes us alcoholics different and why we can't be like Cousin Steve and just quit. And that's why we need this recovery process, because somewhere in our alcoholism, we've become disconnected and restless and irritability and discontentness. And then we have to ingest alcohol to get rid of that. Then when the alcohol stops, we find ourselves in a predicament. So we'll let Bob take it away. I'll tell you what, when I, when I started and I said I'm an alcoholic, I know I'm an alcoholic because I fit the description of an alcoholic, or, or you can almost say it's a definition, but it doesn't really call it that, that it talks about in We Agnostics on page 44. It talks, the book says, if two things are present in you, you're the alcoholic that this book was written for. You're the guy that this was written for. And it's the fourth line down on page 44, it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. I'm both of those things. You know, the thing about if when you find when you honestly want to, like really sincerely this time I mean it, unlike the other 30 times I thought I meant it. This time I really, really mean it. 
And it says, quit entirely. What do they mean by entirely? I mean, they don't really mean entirely. I mean, I quit drinking for long periods of time to keep me properly medicated. But what I can't do is I can't stop doing everything. I'm like Dr. Bob. Uh, If you read Dr. Bob's story, Dr. Bob was able to stay away from alcohol for sustained periods of time with sedatives and medications. Matter of fact, in his own story, he said that he used those every day of his life for, I think it was 17 years, in order to function so he could still go to work. Because every time he was just like me, every time he started, he couldn't stop. And that's the second thing it says. Or if when you honest, uh, not only when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. And that was always true for me. There was something about me from the very first time I started drinking as 12 years old that I seemed to have an inability to shut it down when I should. I always went too far. And I, uh, and it said I had both of those things. I'm not only powerless over alcohol once I start drinking, but I am powerless to stay stopped once I've been stopped. It's a double, double deal. There are some, there are, there are types of, of drinkers that, uh, I think there are two different types of alcoholics. There's acute alcoholism and chronic alcoholism. This, the book of Alcoholics Anonymous in AA was designed for chronic alcoholics. But there's an acute alcoholic, and I grew up with guys like that. And there are people who, because of their alcohol consumption, they drink so much, so heavily for so long that they, they become debilitated as a result of their massive alcohol consumption. And they are powerless over alcohol while they are drinking. Once they're in the process of drinking, they just they always go too far. They're bad like that. But their powerlessness ends where the bottle ends. Once they've been detoxed, their alcoholism goes away. And once they make up their mind that they'll never drink again, they just do. They just don't drink no more. I grew up with guys like that. But I'm the guy that when I honestly want to, I can't quit entirely. And I've said to myself, anybody in here besides me ever said to yourself, this time, I'm never going to touch that stuff again, right? Okay, then of all the people that have said that, how many of you have touched it again? Right, yeah, right, okay. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Don't mean to be, but I'm that guy. And we're going we're gonna to get into a little bit about why, why this thing is like that. Dr. Silkworth, uh, I think Alcoholics Anonymous owes Silky a tremendous debt. He, he really, I don't think we would be here without him, without his input to Bill Wilson about the disease of alcoholism. On, in the doctor's opinion, on page XXVIII in the fourth edition, I think it's a different page in the third, I'm not sure. But it's at the top of the page where it says, we believe. In the fourth edition, it's XXVIII. I, I, I. I think in the, anybody have a third edition? No. What is it? Just two eyes in the third edition? No, is it four, three eyes? Okay. Anyway, 
It says, we believe and suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics, that's me, chronic. I have chronic alcoholism. I don't have acute alcoholism. My alcohol is not, my alcoholism is not induced by alcohol. And that's, the, I think that's the, the, this is subtle difference between me and people who are problem drinkers. I did not, I am not an alcoholic because I drank obsessively and abusively. I drank obsessively and abusively because I'm alcoholic. Very subtle difference. Very subtle difference. It's, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg. I am not, now there are, I'm not an acute alcoholic or a person who has acute alcoholism. Their alcoholism comes from drinking. My drinking comes from alcoholism. I'm the guy that if you were to, if you would have, if I, when I was 15 years old, if you would have transplanted me to another planet where there was no alcohol, I'd have found some fungus or something. You know what I mean? I, right? I'd have, I'd been grinding rocks up and stuff. I'd been finding some kind of alcohol there. You know what I'm saying? Right? It, 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 that's because I got alcoholism. I'd have been found. I'd have found it. These chronic alcoholics, the action of alcohol on chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. And, and Silkworth talks about something, unlike other allergies, like if you have an allergy to strawberries and eat strawberries, you break out in hives. We don't break out in hives when I drink. I break out in what Silkworth calls a phenomenon of craving. That is my allergic reaction to alcohol. I ingest alcohol into my system and I develop a craving. But most of the time, I don't know that that's happening. I don't get it. Because a craving, you never realize you have a craving until you can't satisfy it. Everyone in this room right now is in the grip of a craving you're not aware of. And that's the craving to breathe air. And you're not, you never think about it because you satisfy it. But if someone were to slip up behind you with a plastic bag and put it over your head, you'd realize instantly you have this craving to breathe air. And my drinking was like that because I very, very seldom ever allowed myself to be in a position where I had three or four drinks and then could not get any more for a sustained period of time. If you've ever been in that place, it makes you crazy. It's like a stone in your shoe until you eventually got to go find some more alcohol. That's a phenomenon of craving. And Silkworth says that this phenomenon of craving is limited to this class, to us, to people with chronic alcoholism and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. And because of that, these allergic types, these guys like me, who once I take a drink, there's something in my wiring where I react to alcohol differently than non-alcoholics. My sister doesn't have alcoholism, and I watch her drink. And a funny thing, of what to me is an alcoholic, what her reaction to alcohol seems like a phenomenon to me. Just as my reaction to alcohol seems like a phenomenon to her. But she'll take about two drinks, maybe three, maybe two and a half. And you know, she starts to get that buzz. You know what I'm saying? That little buzz, that glow starts coming. And in her wiring, that buzz is interpreted as, whoa, 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 hey, okay, back off from this thing, getting a little out of control here. Tired of drowning in countless speaker tapes, searching for the right one? 
come on by our website, www.odontology12step.com, where quality is our mission. We personally listen to and approve of every single speaker tape we post. This is what makes Odontology 12-Step Recovery Media stand out. If you listen to one of our speakers, we can assure you it is entertaining, easy to listen to, and carries a strong message of recovery and hope. Our site is the perfect way to enhance your recovery by listening to only the best 12-step speakers and reading our amazing recovery blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is the number one recovery channel on the platform with over 12 million views. www.odontology12step.com Broadcasting hope and healing 24-7. Now... My wiring is I get that same feeling and it's like, woo, you know, full speed ahead. And we're different. My sister, I never, she would look at me and wonder, why do you got to drink yourself into stupidness every single time? And I would like, and I'd look at her and say, why do you stop when it's getting good? (laughs) You know what I mean, right? I don't understand her, but it's not a craving for her. A couple drinks of alcohol make her feel like she's losing control. A couple drinks of alcohol make me feel like I'm about to get control. I drank with an urgency. I drank with a feeling, most of my drinking, like I am about to arrive. And I suspected it was on the next drink. And that's why I always drink. I was always one drink ahead of myself. You know what I mean? You're sitting in a bar and I'm drinking and I'm already figuring out I better get the other one lined up. Because I always had a feeling like I'm not there yet, but I knew I was, ab- I always had a sense that I'm about to be there. And I'd, I don't think I ever really got there except maybe in the very early days. But I spent most of my drinking being almost crazy because I'd get so close to there I could almost touch it, but I couldn't quite get it. It was just one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. And I'd come to somewhere. Don't know if I got there or not. Uh, I'm that guy. Uh, and it says that guys like me, because of this phenomenon of craving, these allergic types, it says we can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Now, I, I imagine, I, I'm not sure what Silkworth means by that. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about um, his experience with people with alcohol and mind-altering drugs. And he, there's a book out uh, written by Charlie Towns who, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what alcohol in any form means to you. It might mean beer, wine, whiskey, gin, and rum, and tequila. But I think, from my experience, and this is the only thing I have to base it on, is I think that for some of us, I don't even know about us, but I know for me, there were other things that did the same thing for me. Uh, I think there was, I was allergic not, not only to certain beverages, I'm allergic to certain pills. I can take vitamin C and aspirin all day long, never, never get weird. You give me a Valium and I'm going to end up in Tijuana before the week's over. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be somewhere crazy because it sets something off in me. And so what I, my life depended upon me finding out what are the four, what, what is alcohol to me? What does that to me? Off of me, 
and my emotions off of me. When that anything that will do that for me, I've discovered that I have an allergic reaction to it. And I never, ever really get a feeling of getting enough. Um, I know I have this phenomenon of craving for a couple reasons. One is I look back through my whole drinking career. And I'll tell you honestly, I can't tell you one moment when I was drinking where I ever really had a sense of drinking just enough. I have never had the experience of being in a bar drinking for an hour or two or in a party and have the bartender come by and say, Bob, would you like another drink? I have never known the experience of sitting there and thinking to myself, this, no, this is just right. I've never been there. It's always more, 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 more. You see, if, if that wasn't true, if I could get to just right, then I would have been able to shut it down without going too far. But when you can never get just right, you always go too far because there's never enough. And that was my experience all every through my whole drinking. The bottom of the page, XXVII, Silkworth talks about the other aspect of the alcohol of alcoholism from alcoholics with chronic alcoholism. If if all there was to alcoholism was the phenomenon of craving, then uh, Betty for or then uh, Nancy Reagan, when she said that deal, just say no, would have worked for people like me. But what is it about me that after three or four treatment centers, after getting arrested, after getting it, getting it, that this is destroying me and making up my mind this time I mean it, I'm never going to touch that stuff. What is it about me that draws me back to that in spite of overwhelming information that to drink again is a very bad idea for me? Sokor touches on it, this insanity, this sickness of heart that we have at the bottom of this page. And he says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And I think that's probably true for everybody. The difference between me and non-alcoholics is not only do I like the effect, there's something inside me that yearns for the effect, that needs the effect, secretly needs the effect. This sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. The last couple years of my Drinking were pathetic. I had crossed into a realm of alcoholism where I had wrung all the fun out of it. And I'm not, it's it's no longer the kind of drinking where I am at a bar and I'm shooting pool and dancing and talking to the girls and I'm getting laid and meeting people. It's no longer the type of alcoholism where, where alcohol is a social lubricant. It's no longer the deal where it's a party. And yet, I, I can't uh, differentiate the true from the false. Because every time after a period of several months of abstinence, and I will start a run again, I will start the run with a high level of anticipation that it's going to be like it was when I was 18 years old. In, in spite of the reality that it hadn't been that way for two or three years, I will become convinced it's going to be like that again. 
because I don't want to face the truth. I don't know. I would rather believe the delusion. You know what delusion is? It's psychotic, wishful thinking. It's like evidence is it's not this way, oh, but I want it to be that way so bad that I'm willing to, to alter my vision of reality in my mind to imagine that it can be that way again. Now, I've not only been that kind of delusional about alcohol, I've been that way in relationships, about all kinds of stuff. I mean, just wacko, crazy stuff. I can't differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Not only do I adjust to the damage I create in my life, and I just, you know, it's really kind of sad when you, at the, the end of the last couple of years of my drinking, if, uh, if you were to ask me how I was doing, and I had enough money in my pocket to get drunk that day, I'd have probably told you I was doing fine. If you'd have asked my mother how I was doing, she would have broken to tears. But see, as I spiraled down into oblivion and, and lower levels of degeneration and more, crossed all those barriers and those lines I'd never cross and do the things that I told myself I'd never do and living with the lies and the hurt and the disappointment and the broken relationships and the lost jobs, I just adjust to that journey to hell. Every step of the way, I make it normal for me. Somehow, I alter my view of reality. This is okay. And it's because the, the road to hell is not like a ski jump, it's an incremental thing. It's just gradual. They call it a progressive illness, it's a gradual thing. To me, my, it seems the only normal one in that my, the big secret. And the thing that I don't want anybody to realize, I don't even want to face myself. And it's one of the reasons I return to drinking when it's even though I know it's killing me. Is that the only time in my life I really ever felt normal. The only is when I in the early days when I was half lit up. It's the only time I ever really felt like you looked. It was the only time that I ever able was able to fit and integrate myself with you the way you always seem to do so easily. If you ever remember the, that feeling of separation, of loneliness, of, of being at sober at a party or a dance and standing back in the corner watching everybody else integrate and that sick, lonely feeling, almost as if, there's an invisible yet impenetrable barrier between me and you that you guys can, don't have. And you connect with each other and then there's me. And I'm distant and apart from. And five shots of tequila and the barrier goes away and I am as apart. I feel like you look. I connect and can talk to you and come out and play. And I'm a part of the way you've always looked to me to be. That I could never do on my own. And to see the real reality. My big secret is that I, oh, I really feel, that's normal to me. That's normal to me. Now to the rest of the world, when I'm drunk, I don't look normal. I look drunk. But to my internal reality, that's a better grade of normal than I am when I look normal to the rest of you and I'm sober. But feel so apart from. Man, that is a good clip. And it really just 
covers and encompasses what it means to be an alcoholic and that abnormal relationship that alcoholics have with alcohol. I know for me, when I found out that I was, quote, allergic to alcohol, that it made a lot of sense. And one of the things when he's talking about being allergic to alcohol and Dr. Silkworth talks about the allergy, one of the things for me that made it really easy to understand was basically an allergy is just a heightened susceptibility to or an abnormal reaction to something. So if I'm allergic to strawberries, when I eat strawberries, I'm going to have an abnormal reaction and I have a heightened susceptibility to those strawberries. The average person can just eat them and nothing happens to them. And for those other people, they're like, well, why when you eat strawberries, do you break out in hives and we have to jam an EpiPen into your leg? You know, but that's what an allergy is to me, is that heightened susceptibility to, and that's what I had with alcohol. I mean, I would have friends and people that I would go out and drink with. And while we might ingest the same amount and my friends would be drunk and I would be drunk and you would think from looking on the outside at us, oh, they're all equal. All of their relationship with alcohol is the same. But internally in me, it lit something up inside of me and it brought a connection to life and the world that it didn't bring for my friends. Even though my friends like to go out and get drunk, it didn't connect them the way that it connected me to the world. So in this next clip, Bob's going to talk about how us that are in the 12-step programs, we become disconnected, and then how the process of getting reconnected works in recovery. There's some really cool stories, really cool things here, and it's really inspiring for somebody like me that always felt apart from, always felt like there was maybe something different in me than in other people. And the journey towards connection in the recovery process was one of the coolest things I've ever had happen in my life. So we'll let Bob take it away. He starts out when he's newly sober and he's in a halfway house and he's afraid that people are going to see him praying. So he gets into the bathroom and he doesn't necessarily know if he believes in God, but he knows he doesn't want to drink again and he's going to pray and he, it's really funny because he pushes a towel up against the bottom of the door so no one, quote, catches him. So this is a really cool clip, and we'll let Bob go from here. I push the throw rug up against the crack underneath the door, like as if I'm afraid somebody's going to peek under there to see me pray or something. Like, I'm nuts, right? I'm whacked. And I get down on my knees, and I say, okay, whatever's there. I'm scared and I need some help and I don't I don't I need your help to stay sober. And at the end of the day I would just simply get down in there on my knees and I'd thank whatever that was. And some funny things started happening to me. From the moment of this expression of willingness. And I, I didn't understand that uh, the physical demonstrations are so powerful. And, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we often talk about change of attitude. And I didn't know what that meant for a long time. Pilots talk about attitude. It's the angle of approach. And if you've got a bad attitude in an airplane, you're going to land in the mall, right? You're going to land, you're going to hit the side of a mountain. So you must adjust your attitude, your angle of approach. And what the problem with me and God is not God. It's my angle of approach. And from the moment I started to take actions, 
against my natural inclinations, what I started to do is I was changing my angle of approach. So I was starting to access this grace, this power. There's amazing stuff started happening to me from the moment I did that. Uh, I, I I was living in this halfway house. I got one roommate that's shooting heroin and another one that's smoking pot. Like, and I'm, I'm on thin ice here. Out of nowhere, a guy came to me and offered me a job with room and board living in a treatment center for teenagers, being the house manager. I'm telling you, this job was divinely crafted for me. It did not give me a lot of money, because a lot of money, I would have ended up in a saloon telling everybody how smart I was. It was just enough money to start chipping away at some amends, having money to put in the basket and maybe get a pack of cigarettes. But it gave me, put me in a position to think of others. I could get to two meetings a day. When I lived there, it was perfect for me, perfect. And it got me out of a very dangerous, and I didn't look for that job. It just came to me. I had other things happen to me like that. Like I, I, I used to, I would go through these really awful mood swings in early sobriety, unexplicable stuff, because I don't understand myself to know why, why I go from one minute feeling like I'm on top of the world to the next minute into this abyss. And I, I had dozens and dozens of experiences like that where I'd go to some meeting and there'd be a stranger there talking about what's going on with me. And he's got my answer. I remember one time coming, I just I was so frazzled at work. I, I went to a noon meeting and I'm nuts. And uh, I'm ready. I'm going to go back after the noon meeting and quit my job because they've been disrespecting me and taking advantage of me. And it's and just, it just they've really been, it's been bad. And I go to a meeting and there's a stranger there talking about something that went on with him in the job. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, I don't have to quit my job. I got to make amends to my boss for being an idiot. It, that would never have occurred to me naturally, never. And I started to experience the hand of something working in my life. I mean, who's choreographer? Who's the choreographer behind all that? And I started to come to believe in something. I, I, I suspect the only way a guy like me could really by what started to happen to me. Never be alone on your road to recovery with the Odontology app for Apple and Android devices. Odontology has earned its large following by providing only the best recovery material available, and now you can get it instantly all in one place. There's over 100 hours of incredible content to keep you motivated and inspired in your recovery journey. Search Odontology in the Apple or Google Play Store and download the Odontology app. Over in London, to, to this day, there's parts of London that the streets are lit by gas streetlights rather than electric. And uh, years ago, before they had the electric starters and the, before they were all gridded and automatic, there was a guy whose job it was at, at dusk was to go up and down the streets of London. And he had a key to turn the gas on and a long pole with a flame on the end to light the, light the deal. And he was called a lamplighter. And you could climb up to the top of the highest building in, in London and look out over the city. And you, no matter how hard you looked, you couldn't see where the lamplighter was. But you could always see where he'd been by the lights. And I could sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at three years sober, two and a half, I don't know. I couldn't see where God was, really. But boy, could I see where he'd been. 
I mean, I could see where he'd been. And even more closely and more distinctly than seeing where he'd been in my life, man, could I, I was doing a lot of 12-step work. I, I was going into the hospitals and institutions. I could see the hand of God and some of these new people that came in six, eight months after me. I saw the deadness of the eyes. I saw, I saw the hopelessness. I met the guys that would never see their kids again because of the restraining orders. I met the guys that were so far in debt that they're not going to live long enough to get themselves out. I met the homeless guys, and years later they're buying their first home, and the guy's got his kids. And I mean, in tremendous transformations. And I came to believe, I guess, the only way that I could, I had to see it. It had to be up close and personal. I, some people have an ability that someone they respect will tell them you need to believe in this, and they just go, oh, okay. Or it says it in a book, and they go, oh, okay. But I'm not that guy. I'm a skeptic. I'm an over... I'm a deep thinker. There's a lot of deep thinkers in Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're a deep thinker, you should not own a gun. I mean, deep thinkers have a hard time in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a deep thinker. And God came to me the only way that he could. And he started working in my life. There's a friend of mine, uh, Jim. Jim M. He's sober 40, probably 45 years now. Lives in Pacific Palisades. He's a dear, dear man told me a story once that it motivated me to go to Florence to try to find the statue he was talking about. And I found it, but I couldn't see it because the, you had, there was a, almost a week waiting list to get in this one museum. But he told this story that just lit me up. And he said he was walking around this, this very famous museum in Florence and looking at this exhibit of sculptures from the, sculpture, from the sculptor Donatelli. And Donatelli does a lot of spiritual sculptures. And he said he walked into this room and there was a, a life-size statue of the Mary Magdalene. And he said when he looked at it, it took his breath away. And he had to sit down. And the more he looked at it, he started, he started weeping. Because it's, it's different. This, this statue, this depiction of Mary Magdalene is different than anything he's ever seen. Usually you see Mary Magdalene with the flowing robes and the long hair, and she's very pretty. But he said this was not like that. This was a woman who was etched with pain and hopelessness. A woman who looked like she'd been turning nickel and dime tricks on the back alleys of Jerusalem for years. And there was a deadness and a hopelessness about her. And yet through that shone a spark as she stood there with her hand out. As if saying, this could be for me? For me? And oh man, I knew it. Jim's telling that story and I'm weeping. Because I know exactly what that feels like as you start to approach God and realize He's working in your life. Sometimes early sobriety, it would just, I'd be driving down the street and I'd just start crying because something has happened to me. Something that I know what I am that I don't feel like I deserve. I ain't giving it up, but I know I never felt worthy of it. And there's a line in our book that says, God does not make hard terms with those who seek Him. And from the moment of approach, of changing my angle of approach and attitude, this thing started coming into my life. 
Thanks, Bob. That is just an incredibly moving story. And for those that are interested, you can go on Google Images and you can search Donatelli Barry Magdalene, and you'll be able to find the image that Bob is referencing in that powerful story where she's sticking out her hands, kind of saying, for me, could this be for me? And I know when I was really in the depths of my alcoholism, recovery seemed so far away. It seemed like something that was unattainable. And when I started to experience the healing that happened in my early sobriety, I remember feeling like that, like, wow, my life is turning around. This could be for me. And so many that have come before us and so many currently are having that healing experience through the 12 steps and in recovery. I just want everyone to know that if you know anyone or you're struggling with alcoholism or addiction yourself, that there is hope out there. And there are people that have walked this path before that are more than willing to help you. So Bob's story is absolutely powerful. And in future podcasts, we're going to get into more of his stuff. And he really has a great way of conveying a, a really awesome message. So absolutely love Bob here. He's a really nice guy. And he shares about recovery in a very powerful way. So kind of transitioning from Bob's story, the hope and healing segment is over for this week, and we're going to get into our recovery today segment. This week is on a eh, semi-hot button issue. It's about medication and sobriety. So we will get right into that. We're going to get into a segment called Medication and the 12 Steps. And this is one of the areas that kind of has the most controversy around it. We're just going to try to bring a very, with lack of a better term, sober look at it and just kind of have a balanced and dialectic approach to this oftentimes really controversial situation. So it comes from an article we're going to kind of be referencing, and it's called Sleeping Pills and Sobriety Continue to Save My Sanity. And this article is by Tracy Chabala. It's C-H-A-B-A-L-A. And it's at uh, thefix.com. You can find it there. And again, the title is Sleeping Pills and Sobriety Continue to Save My Sanity. She starts off with the article where she says, quote, It's clear that my first sponsor made a dangerous assertion and a dangerous recommendation to someone with bipolar disorder, end quote. And she kind of starts off how she's telling her sponsor at the time that she was taking Lunesta, which is a sleeping pill, which was under her psychiatrist's care, which helped keep her bipolar mood stabilized. So what we have here is a woman that was struggling with bipolar disorder, which is not uncommon for people in the 12-step rooms. A lot of comorbidity happens with addiction and alcoholism. So it's definitely not anything that's uncommon to have bipolar disorder and being in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. One of the important things to begin right off the bat, I think, is that Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step programs do not practice medicine. I mean, that is as clear as day. It's a place for one thing, and that's what the 12-step says. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So she talks about how her sponsor did not recommend Lunesta, and basically was telling her that if she took Lunesta, that she wasn't sober. And I think it's really important to kind of go right up against something like this and say, no one but yourself can have your sobriety date. She goes on later in the article to talk about someone else takes some, like one, I think one or two Benadryl or something, and then they get up there and say, well, I'm not sober anymore. 
And she basically says that is way too far. But basically, since recovery is such a personal process, if that's what that person thought that was going to change their sobriety date because of that, then I say more power to them. But one of the things we have to remember, and AA actually has a really good pamphlet. It's called the AA member and then kind of a long minus sign or AA member dash medication and other drugs. And it basically answers all the questions that you have. So if anybody is in a 12-step program and they have someone telling them, well, if you take antidepressants, you're not sober. Or if you take this, you're not sober. I would just reference you over to that because people's opinions are just that people's opinions. And the 12-step groups, I don't think, are any different than a workplace, a church community, um, a football team, a baseball team, any sort of place where there are a bunch of people. You're going to get different opinions. You're going to get different takes on how situations and problems are going to be addressed. But I think one of the main things to realize is that Alcoholics Anonymous in Narcotics Anonymous, Crystal Meth Anonymous, any 12-step program has no opinion on these outside issues. But I do think it's really dangerous when people in AA try to tell their sponsor sponsees that taking something is not good or it will ruin their sobriety. That's not their place. And unfortunately, too often I see people in 12-step programs doing that. And that creates a lot of bad press a lot of things to where the AA community, the NA community, the 12-step community in general opens itself up for criticism, for attack when people hear things like this. Hopefully, when you consider the source and consider the person that's telling you these things is either your sponsor or a person in a meeting or a friend in the fellowship, you realize they're not a doctor and it's something that you can tell your doctor. Now, there could be a situation where a sleeping pill or Lanesta could be a legitimate relapse. For example, if someone were to go in and see their doctor, not tell their doctor they're in recovery, not tell them that they have a history of substance abuse, and then try to get sleeping pills in order to experience the high, the effect from them, in my opinion, that would be a relapse. But again, since it is a program of rigorous honesty and a program that has us look back within, check ourselves over and over, it's really up to the person to come to that realization. If they were to go through that whole process and then take the Lunesta, it would be up to that person to say, oh shit, I need to change my sobriety date and then go to the program or a sponsor or whatever and talk about how to deal with that. But it's up to the person and not someone else's opinion. So I think that when talking about medication in these 12-step programs, everyone really needs to be very careful. And honestly, it shouldn't be up like in a discussion meeting. It, you shouldn't share it from the podium. Heck, I know we have speakers on the odontology12step.com site in our YouTube channel that allude to maybe some negative things around medication. But the rest of their talk is so good, I completely am okay with it because that's one person's opinion. They might not agree with everything I say. I know by talking to these speakers that many of them don't agree with me, and that's okay that we have these different opinions. But for the newcomer, for the person that's wondering these questions, the only one you should listen to is your doctor. And then if you have any questions, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, 
the 12-step programs themselves all have pamphlets. So if you're wondering about it, you can arm yourself with the knowledge of the pamphlets, your doctor, and trusted people in the program that are aware of your whole situation. I think when you just have not all those pieces taking into this account, that's where you can slip up. Like if a sponsor says, you shouldn't take that, and you don't consult a doctor or the 12-step literature or pamphlets, you're basically going off only one source, and then you might quit taking that, and that could lead to some very, very bad things. So basically, this is just my own Robert's opinion on it. This doesn't speak for anything, doesn't speak for odontology or any of the other founders. It's just my personal opinion. And that opinion is, if you're on medication or you have questions about taking medication in the 12-step programs, there are kind of three things you should take into account. Number one, the 12-step literature and the pamphlets put out by the groups. Number two, what a trusted sponsor or friend, again, someone trusted that's aware of your entire situation, entire story. And then number three, most importantly, somebody with a valid medical license. And not the person on the corner that thinks they have a medical license, but an actual doctor. I will, also, I will say one thing that just because a doctor prescribes it doesn't mean it's good. But again, we have to let the members of the medical community practice medicine and not even get within that realm. So if you don't think your doctor is telling you the right thing, heck, get in a second opinion. That's okay. But alcoholism and addiction are medical conditions and you should treat them as such. And when it comes to the medical aspects, the brain chemistry, the physiological issues like bipolar, which can be empirically observed on brain scans, when it comes to those things, you need to let the doctors practice medicine and then the 12 steps do the one and only thing they're designed to do. And that's a spiritual awakening as the result for the steps. Welcome back, everyone, and that will do it for episode one of the Odontology 12-Step Podcast. Stay tuned, because next time we've got a really great show. We've got a powerful segment by a speaker named Angie, who's a wonderful example of women in recovery. Then we've also got Ed telling the story of how he was able to forgive his father's murderer. So it's going to be a really great show in episode two. We'd like to thank you for stopping by and checking out the podcast. Be sure to let us know what you think. Stop by our Facebook, Twitter, odontology12step.com. We'd really like to hear from you. And with that, we want to wish everyone love and light, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Odontology 12-Step Podcast. If you found this content helpful, please consider taking a moment to review and rate the podcast on iTunes. For more inspiration, come on by and see us at odontology12step.com, your online home for hope and healing 24-7.